Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This week's featured cookbook is... I Dream of Dinner by Ali Slagle. Hi, Johnny. What many ladies don't know is that (laughs) mansplaining is short for man-explaining. Oh, hey, Victoria. (laughs) Sorry, I was just speaking at my mom. Right? That's like a multi-layered joke. Allow me to explain. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a freaking weirdo. Welcome to episode 79 of Tasty Pages, a podcast from Cooking the Books. If you go to our website, which is wecookbooks.com, and click on that store tab, that will direct you to our Amazon.com affiliate page. And uh, if you click on any of those lists there, cookbook essentials for home cooks, cookbooks, food photography and styling, fun food finds, what have you, uh, you'll get access to the best that Amazon has to offer, at least according to us, because we picked them out. (laughs) And uh, if you make a purchase, it won't cost you anything more. But we'll get a little something in return. It's probably the most immediate way that you can support the fine work we're doing here. Of course, you can also just endorse a check that you recently received from a Nigerian deceased prince. Are you drunk? <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> we also accept collectible beauty okay. South African Krugerrands, <laughs> and Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. Don't send us any of that shit. <laughs> How you doing, Victoria? <laughs> um, I'm confused by you. That was, that was my that was my performance. You really went for it, I, huh? I, I, I kind of did. <laughs> I don't know if it was successful. I'll leave that to the listeners to judge. <laughs> Man, it's hot out today. It's super hot out. It's so hot the hens are laying hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a free one because, like, we're going to be talking a lot about eggs oh, this episode. Hey, and, uh, I, I wanted to tie something in there. Look at you. Yeah, we're in a professional operation here. Yeah. Shall, shall we tell the fine people what we're drinking? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I swear I took one sip, literally. I'm not drunk. Well, you know, for the past several weeks, we've been drinking margaritas. We've been on a margarita kick. But we switched it up today. It's just a nice little uh, vodka, rosemary, lemonade. I took some lemon juice, some... Fresh rosemary from the garden. Some rosemary from our garden, muddled that with a little bit of vodka. And then I added some lemonade, Trader Joe's lower calorie lemonade. There you go. And Summer in a glass. Yes. And it's delicious. Should we uh, maybe talk about what we're currently going to begin as far as cookbooks we are starting the green kitchen quick and slow by david frankel frank frankiel 
Frank Gile. Yeah. I I apologize if I am mispronouncing it. I He's looked, kind of a mysterious figure. There's not a lot online about you know interviews with him or no, how to pronounce his name. I, I looked high and low. We tried. Yeah. So I mean, I, we're not nuts. We're not going to spend like eight hours I mean, I suppose researching I could, it. I could have been really creepy and just DM'd him on uh, Twitter and been like, how do you pronounce your name? That would have been creepy. Um, but they, but they, they're... they're uh, and then Louise Vendal, did you yes. mention her name? Yeah. No, so, I didn't get a chance to yet. Because I was interrupting you. <laughs> yes. What's that again? <laughs> I quit. And they're, they're, they're kind of like the... The European Magnolia Table. They've got their own empire mm-hmm. called Green Kitchen. And mm-hmm. this is a, another book in that series. And tonight for dinner, we are doing a Swedish pancake with seasonal vegetables. Yep. It's going to be good. I love me a good pancake. And yep. it's a baked pancake. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. I don't Calling it a pancake to me is a bit of a stretch, but but we'll see how it turns out. It's it's more like a... It seems more like a Dutch baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it'll be delicious. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> oh, I did want to talk about uh, the the series on Hulu that's breaking the internet, that, that the internet is all abuzz with, and that would be The Bear. Yes. Um, and we, we saw this a few weeks ago. We mm-hmm. kind of binge watched it when it first came out and then just kind of forgot to talk about it. Thoughts? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. One of my favorite parts was when... The main character, his name is Carmi. Yeah, let's set it up. Okay. We, we won't spoil anything for people, but we'll just we'll give them the premise in case you haven't seen it. Uh, the main character, his name is Carmen, Carmi for short. Um, he's kind of a wonderkin chef, uh, and his brother owned a Italian beef stand in Chicago. Serving the, the working class lunches mm-hmm. of the people. And his brother offed himself. And that God, that's I was going to say so rude. What a mild way to put it. (laughs) His brother committed suicide, um, and so Carmen returns to Chicago to run this place, and it is completely chaotic. Yeah, so it's it's I mean, kind of a dump. It's about food tangentially. Well, no, I mean it's it's about food, yeah. And then, but it's also how you deal with like grief and loss and trying to pick up the pieces. And, and and rather than take time to really process it and be with that grief, he just kind of dives headfirst into this restaurant that his brother owned that was, you know, previously with, you know, in his family. It shows how chaotic and toxic yes. kitchen culture can be. And uh, food writer Alicia Kennedy wrote a great article in Harper's Bazaar about this that I was that I was uh, reading through and. She she says it more eloquently than than I can about what just what we're talking mm-hmm. about with with uh, just the premise of the show and and it, yeah but I I enjoyed it and it by all accounts pretty accurate portrayal of yeah. you know kitchen culture yeah well it's funny uh, on Twitter I saw someone well the main char- the the main character um, he was on another show called Shameless he played Lip on Shameless he's very attractive in an uncon conventional way mm-hmm. and i saw someone on twitter refer to him as the uh sexually competent dirtbag <laughs> <laughs> competent adequate he's adequate um that's way to aim high <laughs> yeah and he's the guy that's uh rolling into work uh after coming straight from a chick's 
place that he picked up at the bar after shift last night. Hasn't brushed his teeth, had two cigarettes and a Red Bull for breakfast. Hey, I used to be that guy. No, you weren't. <laughs> back, in the, back in the band days. Okay. <laughs> eat, a, eat a cold piece of pizza that was left over from last night but had not been refrigerated, just Ugh. still sitting in the box on the table. Gross. Maybe drink a warm beer that's left over, you know. Is it one that's open? Because then yes, you're then you're then you're really gambling. Because did yeah. someone use Living it as an ashtray? <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about uh, a show we attended about a week ago. Jeezy's Juke Joint, Black Burly Q. And so what this was was kind of a traveling burlesque review. Uh-huh. I think they're based in New Orleans, uh-huh. best I could tell. And they made a stop in Minneapolis at the Poor House. P O U R. And this joint was... First time there. It was not good. <laughs> we arrive, we order drinks, and the first thing the bartender does is like kind of turn his back and try and discreetly, but not really so discreetly, like look at the menu to see what was in a cosmopolitan and an old-fashioned so he could make the drinks for us. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't just pull up some kind of bartending app on his phone or something and frantically scroll for it well i think uh, it's weird that i ordered a cosmopolitan in the first place i've i've been like on the 90s kick yeah so you know we were i mean we were at this fancy burlesque show or so we thought and we we (laughs) thought it would be you know appropriate and uh then he informed us that they did not have any uh garnishes so uh thus no oranges or cherries (laughs) and what did you get you got a cosmo with a lemon yes and it's supposed to have a lime yeah like a lemon served in a plastic cup oh yeah nothing but the best Mm -hmm. no 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 barware here this was all plastic all the time and their their menu Every single item was fried. Yep. I imagine their kitchen was just a row of fryers. Fried daddies. Because they, the they had like fried lobster bites, fried mac and cheese balls, I think. French fries. I don't know how long this place has been around. Like I said, it was our first time there. It seemed a little neglected as if someone, you know, opened it with the best of intentions maybe a few years ago and then just kind of gave up. And, like, it was ran a out mishmash of, of things. It was yes. like there were... It looked like it was like going for the speakeasy vibe, mm-hmm. but there were a ton of televisions, yes. so it was like kind of crossed as a like a sports bar. You'd have a black and white photo of Al Capone uh-huh. sharing wall space with like a neon Minnesota Viking sign or something. Yeah, in the bathrooms. Okay, number one, they I were would, co-ed, right? Yes, but I would never order food from this place because the bathrooms mm-hmm. were filthy. This was the beginning of the evening. Yes. Like we arrived. This, you know, like you would think they would have done some cleaning and, you know, ready to open, putting their best foot forward. And this just seemed like they clean bathrooms once a week or something. It was disgusting. It was really gross. Yeah. Um, but the show itself was fucking fantastic. Yeah. It was so entertaining. I mean, I would recommend it. So if you, mm-hmm. if you happen to see it. If, if they roll through your city, hopefully they're in a better venue. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I highly recommend. And then we went to the uh, North Loop Food Truck Festival. That was fun. Well, I don't know. It was hot. It was blazing hot. There, well, he, there were a lot of things that I could not eat. That's true. Um, a lot of gluten. Yes. Uh, we ended up going to a food truck called Ketal. 
Mm-hmm. El Salvadorian. Mm-hmm. And we each got a couple pupusas. Mm-hmm. And Which are? They are... It's kind of like a like a stuffed corn. Yeah, like a thick corn tortilla. Yeah, kind of like an arepa yeah. a little bit. It's and we got one that was stuffed with chicken and cheese, and then I think the other one was a brisket. We waited quite a while. <laughs> it was it was insane. one of the longest line, and you know I guess it's a good tip go to where there's a long line. Yeah, because that's kind of an indication of how good the food is. Yes. Oh, and we also got some yucca fries, which. Not yucca. Not yucca. Yeah. They were delicious. Yeah, uh, very well attended. Mm-hmm. Very hot that day. The weather was really I weird, d- though, because on our way there, it started raining yeah. for like two seconds. And there were like a good 30 to 40 food trucks that participated. So like a good turnout, mm-hmm. but it was just so insanely busy that even even with that, you know, like the lines to anything that you would want to eat were like insane. Yeah. We needless to say, we just waited in that one line, got enough to eat, and then peaced out. Yeah. And I would have loved to have, you know, wandered more and sampled more things, but I mean, you would have spent the entirety of your visit standing in lines in yeah. the bright sun. Yeah, because it was in a parking lot. So for for a pale vampire like me, that's just not going to cut it. <laughs> I mean, at least we wore sunscreen. So that is true. There is that. I think that covers everything. I think so. All right. Hopefully we're we're not boring everyone. Let's, how you, could I with that intro? That I was I, I was gonna say you and your sh- weird shenanigans. I don't. I don't. Where is my husband? <laughs> what did you do with him? I replaced him with a funnier version. I upgraded the software. <laughs> okay. And this is like with funny funny stuff. So you say. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that leads us into our podcast question for the week. We uh, put this out to everyone. What was your favorite way to prepare an egg? And we got more responses than I was kind of expecting. Mm-hmm. People are passionate about uh, how they enjoy their eggs. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, take it away, Victoria. Okay, well, Chris M. is a comedian because... Well, like me. Very much like you. Because he said, whisper gently in its ear. Oh, Chris. Oh, I had not one, but two aunts comment this week. So we're going we're to have some input from the family. All right. Uh, the first being my aunt, Cat B. She said, uh, basted or poached? How do you baste an egg? Um, it, gets, it gets cooked in a little ramekin uh-huh. in the oven. Usually there's like, but w- people like to put a slice of ham underneath it or something. See, I think of basting as like, Applying something to the top of it, you yeah. know, spooning some liquid or, or turkey baster or something. <laughs> so just putting in a little ramekin, that doesn't imply like basting to me. Yeah. But what do I know? I mean, I could be totally wrong too because it's, I, I don't think I've done basted eggs since culinary school. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Leanne K said over easy or scrambled. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good choices. Okay, Popular why, choices. Why am I getting all the weird answers? <laughs> Holtman. <laughs> Said growing up with curry. Yeah, I don't get that. I Is don't he trying to say like elevated maybe or like fancy or... Oh, yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Okay. He likes his eggs with curry. Hey. He's a, fan- a fancy version. Works for me. Okay. Uh, my other aunt, Terry, said uh, on someone else's plate. <laughs> not a big fan of eggs. Pro- apparently not. <laughs> okay. Yes, Mataz, Chicago. Hi, Yaz. Uh, said sunny side up, runny yolk. Only on Fridays. Jesus. <laughs> hey, the show's just begun. Oh, it's, it's going to keep going. Can you take it down a notch, please? <laughs> At Girl Meets Turkey said soft scrambled 
or poached. Mm-hmm. Good ones. No, yes, Beck said poached or very soft scrambled. Okay. Um, at Linda Hartlob said uh, scrambled with veggies. Oh, come on now. You can't throw other ingredients in there. That's cheating. No, sure you can. Uh, I'm talking about like simple egg preparations. Okay. All right. I'll give it to you. Uh, writer Rhiannon said undercooked scrambled. So I think soft that's scramble. like a very soft scramble. And then uh, at Maxwell Gregory 2018 said poached. Another vote for poached. Uh, Grace Lane Smith Art said dropped into a pot of soup noodles. See, another one uh, where you're like adding other ingredients. Well, no, I get it because it gets like. It's an egg you drop get, soup. You, you get like these nice. Yeah. yeah, you get like the nice stringy. Okay. Sections of egg. Man. Stop being a naysayer, <laughs> sir. I'm just trying to maintain some kind of uh, some kind of some kind of order on this show with mm-hmm. our enforce the rules. Sure. Art by Heather Cutts said over easy, or as I usually call it, a dippy egg. <laughs> That's cute. I like it. And then lastly, at Spaceman Barbecue said sunny side up, overrated. Not what it's cracked up to be. Oh my god! <laughs> what did you pick? <laughs> I had a hard time to decide, uh, deciding on just one. Okay. When I when I started, you know, really thinking about it, so I, I love a good soft scramble. I think I probably introduced you to pickled eggs when I would make those curry pickled eggs, I which totally, I have not made for a long time. I totally freaking forgot about uh, yeah, those. Yeah. So you so you mm. hard boil some eggs, peel them, stick them in a mason jar with this uh pickling liquid pickling liquid and and just like curry spices and and kind of what would be considered like warm like indian spices and Mm -hmm. stuff and they take on a beautiful color and then they taste like oh they're so good cut them in half sprinkle a little bit of salt and pepper on them they're not Mm. like those ones that were sitting on the counter at moe's tavern (laughs) on the simpsons for like the last decade And then uh, I, I love a good poached egg. Mm-hmm. I'm not the best at making them, but you do you do well with them. I sure do. Always a big fan of soft-boiled jammy egg. Okay. And I can do those pretty well, mm-hmm. usually, when the stars are aligned, when the wind is blowing just right. Well, they have to be a little bit older. Otherwise, they're kind of a pain in the ass to peel. Uh, when they They'll... usually fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I just have yolk on my hands. You're like, oh. Uh, what did you have? Um, I said sunny side up or poached. I kind of, I you know, I have to be in the mood for eggs. Yeah. Although I have to say one of my favorite egg dishes I ever had was, and it's crazy that I'm saying this because I'm not a fan of lobster. I think lobster is overrated. Uh, not the, what it's cracked up to be? Oh my God. It works on that level too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Getting a lot of mileage out of that joke. I'm going to walk out of this podcast right now. Don't make me turn this podcast around. Continue. Um. <laughs> the lobster scrambled eggs from Bar La Grassa. Yes. Oh. But see, now you're adding ingredients again. I, I'm, I, as a judge, I'm going to have to draw the line here. You can't just be making up like this elaborate dish featuring lobster. And, yeah, whatever. Be quiet. Yeah, it just... I got to put my foot I down. I can make up my own rules. I got to enforce some rules here. Um, should we talk about this book? Sure. Okay. So, much like last year's uh, New York Times No Recipe Recipes Cookbook, which I'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, this new release from frequent uh, New York Times contributor offers up 150 low-effort, high-reward recipes, each one requiring less than eight ingredients and under 45 minutes, using only one or two pots or pans. It's cleverly divided by main ingredient and cooking technique, 
and the recipes allow you to utilize what you probably have on hand while developing confidence in the kitchen. And as an added bonus, half of the recipes are plant-based, which I forgot about when I was sitting down and Mm -hmm. putting pen to paper on this book. Each recipe offers a lot of substitutions or variation ideas, um, which allows you to use what you have on hand or adjust the dish to suit your particular taste. The result is a low-stress, successful meal with very minimal effort, a welcome approach to anyone who has got a busy schedule. Should we talk about the dishes we made? Sure. And we'll dive into it a little deeper. All right. Uh, We did a spicy seared tofu and broccolini. Next was marinated beans with crunchy vegetables. Then there was a ginger, scallion, soba, and shrimp. Crispy skin fish with creamy cucumbers. Skillet thighs with peas and pickled chilies. All right. Uh, Let's talk the spicy seared tofu and broccolini. All right. So... We changed up the method a little bit because this was all supposed to be done in the skillet. One one note that I thought was interesting, it's actually seared tofu and broccoli. Right. We used broccolini and the photo clearly had broccolini in it right. too. Um, I don't feel like this is a book that you had to really adhere to any... No, like, no, you not know, at all. Be, yeah. We'll, this will all be revealed in our rankings. But anyway, it, it called to do everything on... The it, saute everything. Everything gets mm-hmm. sauteed to a nice, nice GBD. What we did, we coated our tofu in a little bit of cornstarch to mm-hmm. up the. Oh, and also do not forget to press your tofu. Right. Um, Explain to people. Well, they do have tool. They do have a tool called a tofu press. Oh. But we MacGyver it. And basically pressing your tofu gets the extra moisture out of it Mm -hmm. so that it cooks up crispier. So how I do it is I put it on a plate on some paper towels. Then I will put some paper towels on top. And then I will put a sheet tray on top of that. And I'll use, I'll set a cast iron skillet or some small child some five pound hand white two five pound hand weights on there Ooh, there you go mm-hmm. heavy book yep and just let it sit and a cute dog perhaps <laughs> i don't think that would work too well <laughs> unless it's to sit still. unless it's our dog she'd be asleep the entire time she probably would be yeah anyway so we coated our tofu in a little bit of cornstarch to up the crisp factor and then we browned it in the skillet, and we roasted the broccolini in the oven. few extra steps, get... but I think the result, the end result made it worthwhile. Yeah. Maybe not fitting the premise of the book, but that's okay. I mean... We had to eat it, so... I don't feel bad because the yeah. book is kind of like, you do you. Right. Um, and then it... And thankfully, I feel like with these kind of dishes, there's always like a ranch dressing... Uh, which I'm not a big fan of. Uh, this had a harissa yogurt. Well, and the inspiration for this dish, I think, was kind of finger food, like buffalo wings mm-hmm. with ranch. And so it was kind of playing with those flavor profiles. And, you know, strangely, you don't even miss the chicken wings in this dish. No, of course you know? not. So mission accomplished. Yep. Anything this... else to say on this? No, I enjoyed it. All right, let's talk marinated beans with crunchy vegetables. This one was a really super simple, do it your own way. Yes. Lots of latitude. We did uh, chickpeas and those get tossed in a, 
dressing of shallot, chili, red wine, vinegar, and olive oil. And there's some snap peas in there, too. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the main stars of this dish. Yeah. And then from there, you're kind of given, you know, permission to throw in whatever else you want. We did carrots, baby corn, cucumber, cherry tomatoes, and then we threw some prosciutto in there. Yep. And then this all goes on like a bed of like a spring mix, like yeah. a lettuce mix. And so it's basically just like a really loaded salad. Yeah. Nothing complicated about it, but it no. was really satisfying. And of course, though, we were hungry an hour later. And that we ate a ton of this. It was like a giant bowl. <laughs> That's what frozen pizza and french fries are for. Right. <laughs> Ooh, french fries on frozen pizza. No. No? No. No. Oh. Um, okay, you talk about this next one since yes. I can't eat it. Okay, so this this dish was all me, and it occurred on one of our uh, famous uh, surf and turf nights. I doubly couldn't eat it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a ginger scallion soba shrimp. Um, and while Victoria was eating a gargantuan steak, I like to experiment with different shrimp, shrimp recipes. So for this night, I used this recipe. Um, it contained not one but two different allergens for Victoria. The, the gluten glutinous soba noodles and shrimp. Yay. I should have went with the allergy trifecta and like held a cat while I was cooking this. <laughs> <laughs> Stirred the pot. Go downstairs and borrow one of the neighbor's yep. cats. The recipe called for boiling the shrimp, which I thought was, I don't know. I'm weird about boiling meat. So rather than do that, I, I seared them. Seared, seared right? Mm-hmm. In a skillet. And uh, I also added... Some finely chopped garlic, lime juice, toasted sesame seeds, and then some chili crisp at the end. Because I figured if you're going to go with these kind of vaguely Asian flavors of ginger, scallions, rice vinegar, soy sauce, and snow peas, why not just go all out and like throw in everything? Sure. I enjoyed it. I hope I didn't stray too far from the recipe by mm-hmm. adding those different things in and, and kind of preparing the ship shrimp differently. But I, I enjoyed it. So that's what matters, I guess. I'll never know. Yeah. And it, it was mostly using stuff that we had on hand. Yeah. So, I mean, aside from buying the shrimp. That's what was really good about this book is mm-hmm. it's, you know. Lots of pantry staples. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we are moving on to crispy skin fish with creamy cucumbers. All right. I'm uh, curious to know what you thought of this because I, I, if I recall, you were kind of unimpressed by the, the torn cucumber thing. Um, I don't know. I've had better, I mean, basically it's like a smacked cucumber salad. Right. It's the cucumber gets like smashed, like smacked up and then you tear it apart and it's uh, dressed in a yogurt, lemon, dill situation. I hate when I smash and tear my cucumber. (laughs) It doesn't feel good. I Um, kind of, I kind of appreciated the presentation of it. I mean, but it's, you know, it's rustic. Yeah. And it also had, uh, it was served with quinoa and millet. Dos ancient greens. I love millet. Millet, I think if I have to choose, well, I mean, my grain consumption is pretty limited these days. True. But millet is gluten-free and I really like it. Quinoa, I'm kind of on. I just, I, I don't, I don't love it. And Not it, my favorite. It gets everywhere. Yes. We did a... I think we say that every time, but yet we still <laughs> seem to make quinoa a lot for people that are kind of like, meh, about it. So, meh. Um, we made this with salmon. Love a good crispy skin salmon. And here's the thing. We, ha- we actually had leftovers 
uh, and I think you, we removed, made sure the skin, we took the skin off. And I didn't even bother trying to heat it up. I just ate it cold the next day. Well, yeah, you made some kind of like salad out mm-hmm. of it. Um, and it was good with just, you know, regular cold salmon. Yeah. Skin removed so it's not all soggy and gross. Yeah. The I, I mean, I like I liked this dish, but I, I think you like you're more enthusiastic about the about the cucumber salad than I am. I'm just like because I got uh, to smack the cucumbers and tear them. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Smacking the cucumber. <laughs> hey, that's a new name for that's it. That's what the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> and then lastly, skillet thighs with peas and pickled chilies. So we we were offered several variations for this recipe, and rather than go with that method of the the peas and pickled chilies we chose one of the alternatives that were offered mm-hmm. and it was potato and kimchi that one really spoke to us and we added uh some red onion because we had some that was about to that w- had been languishing in our refrigerator <laughs> so we wanted to use it up this was delicious the chicken was nice and the skin was nice and crunchy mm-hmm. but the potatoes, by the time the chicken was done cooking, the potatoes were still a tad toothsome. Or undercooked. Yeah. <laughs> you can correct a lot of errors with clever descriptions. <laughs> it's burned. No, it's charred. It's undercooked. No, it's kissed by heat. It's sloppy. <laughs> no, it's rustic. This is moldy. No, it's fermented. <laughs> um, And then we... Through like a nice handful of mixed herbs like dill, parsley, and mint on top of it for one of my favorite things to do. Nice, nice freshness. Yep. Yeah, I was just kind of I think the biggest surprise with that recipe is that the chicken got done before the potatoes were. Yeah, because we had cooked. like little baby yeah, potatoes. Yeah, these were not yeah. They were not large chunks of potato either. I I assumed that everything would kind of come together at once, but no. yeah, I, I still enjoyed it. It's just if you like your potatoes a little more on the uh, soft side, this you you might have been a little disappointed. You might have sent it back to the kitchen. We could. Oh yeah, we you might have asked to speak to the manager. We should have cut the potatoes in half. Meh. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Amazon reviews. The most critical Amazon reviews. I found two of them. Okay. You want to start with the first one? Uh, sure. Uh, this one is from SKC, and it was one out of five stars. And they said, it's all the same and it's all bad. All variations on a theme, all boring. All things you know how to make, but you know better. Okay. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Cynthia J. Stoneski also gave it one out of five stars. Worst cookbook ever. Those are bold words. Uh I did not care for the format of the book or any of the recipes. 150 recipes and she didn't care for any of them. I should have read a sample first, but was not given the option. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk our rankings. Food, photography, and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? I gave it a four. Okay. Okay. Here was one small issue that I noticed. Mm -hmm. I felt like a lot of the photos had this quality. Like when you're editing in Lightroom Mm -hmm. and you push the clarity slider to the positive side, Mm -hmm. it takes on this quality that's uh 
It's not grainy. That's not what I'm... I can't really even describe it. But it looks like the clarity was was pushed up in editing in, okay. in some of them. But that being said, though, I did like the photos. Um, the food was very rustic. And no, I don't mean sloppy. Um, I mean sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> but it fits the aesthetic of the book. Yeah. There was a, a nice array of like hard and soft textures. Mm-hmm. Big amount of uh, close-up photos of the dishes. Yeah. Lots of overhead, and many of the, the many of the photos were pretty unadorned. Like no props, no no linens, yeah, no yeah. cutlery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a lot of books will have elaborate tableaus with all these ingredients out and flowers and blah blah blah. Well, but, these ones did not have a lot of negative space surrounding mm-hmm. it. They were very tightly cropped. And, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, that goes with the style right, of the book. Right, right, right. I mean, there were a handful that were had a setup, like there's some wine over here, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but just not a lot of them. I thought the food looked delicious. Yep. But I, I and yeah, I do think like the photos did go very well with the concept of the book. True. What say you? I gave it a five. Okay. Uh, Mark Weinberg is the photographer. He's got a nice Instagram page. Great use of both shadows and light. I noticed that a lot of the mm-hmm. photos would have some kind of like shadow element to them. Uh, mostly overhead shots, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, some of the dishes were kind of what I called like under construction. So it would kind of just show like the ingredients mm-hmm. laid out, you know, in the process of making the dish, which I felt like kind of went with the aesthetic yeah. of the book. You're hitting all these points that I just kind of skipped over. Um, so I appreciate it. Nice props. I mean, like you, like you said, they were minimal. There weren't a lot of them, but I thought the choice of like plates and bowls and stuff was was very tasteful. And, and I know that there was a prop stylist mentioned in the book. So, you know, some thought went into that. Very casual, rustic presentation, like you said. I feel like I'm just repeating what you said. <laughs> um, most of the recipes have a companion photo, the uh, full page next to them. Um, I really didn't have any complaints about the photography. They're professionally fo- photographed in a style that fits the narrative of the book and achieves the goal of presenting the dishes in an accessible, aspirational way. Okay. So anyone paging through is not going to be intimidated, not be like, oh, I can't make that. And yeah. They, they, it was very inviting, very appealing. No complaints. All Design right. and layout. What'd you give it? I gave it a four. Okay. Um, I was almost going to give it a five. I could, I would maybe even go up to like 4.5. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll stick with four for now. Um, 150 recipes. The book is a little more compact in size. And I think that was probably intentional because it's supposed to be something that you would probably like keep handy on your kitchen counter, um, to serve as kind of inspiration for, you know, what you might have on hand. There's, uh, no more than 45 minutes or 10 ingredients required for any of the recipes and as long as you keep what uh, the author refers to as like indispensables, which includes olive oil, a neutral oil, butter, sugar, red pepper flakes, salt and pepper, then you really don't need more than 10 ingredients and oftentimes only like five or six mm-hmm. for the recipe to complete. Mostly the produce featured is available year round. So this is not a book that relies on like seasonal mm-hmm. produce. Um, this is really intended to be a book that you can just use any time of year. There's not really any extra material before the recipes begin on page 20 of the book. 
So that gives you an idea of, you know, there's, there's not even for a book that makes use of pantry ingredients, there's not even one of those dumb sections in the front that's like, this is what you need to keep on hand, blah, blah, blah. I think there's like a little mention more of when it talks about like salt or something, it'll say like, this is the brand of salt I use, blah, blah, blah. And it talks about kind of using your own intuition to know how much to put on the food. Well, in the back, they actually have a section that there was yeah i know what you're talking about it's a staple section right and it's divided into like starches acids heat and smoke and And it's it's basically like a list it looks like a shopping list kind of and it's basically saying like if you have all of these things you can make anything in this Mm -hmm. book yeah but what i did appreciate is that there's not you know pages and pages in the front of the book of this is the stuff you need to keep on hand and here's the the equipment that you need in your kitchen the format is strong. Chapters are divided into main proteins or ingredients. So it'll be sections like eggs, beans, pastas, vegetables, uh, seafood. And then each chapter has a subchapter. So, for instance, for the egg section, there's, you know, some recipes that call for like beating an egg. There's another one that would be like soft boiled eggs. There'd be another one for fried eggs. And then it's, it would have like a handful. of. It's basically recipes. a style or a cooking method. Yes. And same thing with pasta. Um, there was one called like fluff or, or, or I'm sorry, it was the grains chapter and it'd be like fluff or it'd be like simmer like pasta. Make mush under the, <laughs> under, the, under the pasta section. So there's a recipe index at the beginning of the book, which I thought was helpful. I wish more books included this. Mm-hmm. So there's a few pages where it just has like every recipe laid out in front of you. So if you just want to find something quickly or you're just wanting to kind of look and find some some quick inspiration, um, it's right there in front of you. Uh, recipe head notes are brief, only one sentence, and they're often humorous. So it would have things like, uh, for the creamed leeks and eggs recipe, it says, to soothe babies and large adult children. And then for the harissa chickpeas with feta, it said, a one-pan bear hug. And that's the head notes. It's just like one sentence. The recipe format itself is large enough print and easy to follow with a few helpful hints or suggestions added at the end of it. The ingredient list has no measurements. So it just lists the five or six ingredients you need. And then within the method for the recipe is when you'll see in bold type, put third a cup of this and two thirds cup of this. Uh I think that was the reason that I knocked off a point because I could see how to some people that might be kind of a frustrating experience. Like they want to have everything like kind of laid out for them and they want to know. And for shopping purposes, Mm -hmm. too, it's good to know, do I need a cup of this or do I need two cups of this? Especially when it comes to liquid ingredients like milk and stuff like that. So for that reason, that was why I kind of knocked a point down. Although I will say that... It kind of fits the theme of the book, and so therefore it didn't really bother me as much because um, this is a more kind of casual approach to cooking. It encourages you to make changes based on what you have. So, you know, sticking so strictly to, like, amounts, it didn't bother me that Uh that it didn't do that. As we said at the beginning of this segment, it does share a lot in common with uh, Sam Sifton's The New York Times Cooking No Recipe Recipes that we reviewed last year. Very similar format and kind of similar approach to how it treats the recipes. There, There is a section in the back that's like 
uh, recipes by cravings, mood, and realities. And so it'll have things like if your goal is to have a maximum of two dirty dishes, there's a section of recipes there that uh, you can you can refer to. If you want dinner on the table in 10 minutes, here's a section of recipes. I'm if not going to have anything to say because like all <laughs> of this is all, like, well, this is all my notes. <laughs> I, I think a, a considerable amount of time was spent on the design and layout and the thought that went into it. And I, and I picked up on all that. And so yeah. this is probably the, the, the one ranking that I had a lot to say and a, a lot of observation. There's a nice page in the back acknowledging different authors and, and chefs that the author of this book turns to for inspiration. So there was just kind of this nice list of Dory Greenspan, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, Andrea Nguyen, mm-hmm. and, and just, I thought that was kind of nice, like a little tip of the cap, like even though these people weren't really directly involved with the creation of this cookbook, it was just kind of like, hey, you're my influence, you're my yeah. mentor, so thank you. And, and then I also noted that additionally, a portion of the profits from the book will be donated to an organization called La Cochina, which is a nonprofit that cultivates food businesses operated by low-income female and BIPOC entrepreneurs. And I thought that was really great. Uh-huh. Sorry. I know I, that was a lot and I probably covered a lot of things that you had in your notes. Yeah. But uh what did you have it? For, I gave it a f- I gave it a 4. Mhm. Pretty much everything that you said. Another note is usually for the recipes there'll be a suggestion of add-ons or subs and some recipes have suggestions for other dishes that are in the same wheelhouse, mm-hmm. but with completely different ingredients mm-hmm. or with like mostly different ingredients, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. So like kind of pairing recipes together. Like like the chicken recipe that we did. Mm-hmm. There were so many different, you know, you, still, u- yeah, yeah, yeah. you still use the chicken thighs, but right. there were so many other vegetables or grains or whatever that you could... It's really thoughtful because this, like yeah. you might, I mean, that is how most people cook. Like I've got this pack of chicken thighs in the refrigerator. What do I do with it? Yeah. And she's trying to offer suggestions and also maybe inspire you to start thinking in those terms. So I know when, when we first kind of started this project, I was really, that was just how my mind worked is I wanted to like stick so strictly to a recipe mm-hmm. and not um, deviate from it. And I think it's books like this that kind of helped make me more confident to branch out and 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 not feel so such anxiety like straying from a recipe. Yeah, well, and on, you know your taste more now right, too. Right. Yeah. Sorry for that. No, it's okay. But it just I I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Degree of difficulty. I gave it a one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, most of the dishes have less than five steps. Yeah. And there's such a huge latitude with ingredients. Mm-hmm. Usually there's like one method of cooking. Right. And one pot or pan. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot to say. This was such an easy book to work from. Yes. And this is actually kind of, I think this is like a book that I would give to someone who who d- doesn't cook a lot or f- yeah. is like scared to or... Or looking for inspiration yeah. or to, you know, m- maybe they are just the type that kind of wings it mm-hmm. and this would give them like some something to aspire to or something. Yeah. 
Um, I gave it a one as well. I mean, I I don't see how you could not, you know, I mean, this is like, this is who the book was uh, targeted to is, is, you know, just quick and easy cooking. And I think it delivers on that. So lastly, taste, I gave it a three. Okay. We did take a few liberties to ensure better flavors. So for instance, we talked about roasting the broccolini, coating the tofu and cornstarch to ensure that it was crisp searing the shrimp instead of boiling it so i think that was where our additional like knowledge or experience entered and i think the dishes benefited from that Mm -hmm. i guess that would be my one critique in this category is um in an effort to keep things like really simple and easy you are making some concessions for taste and flavor and stuff and and even that shrimp dish like i added some additional ingredients which i think elevated made it, it taste better uh-huh. elevate it perfect perfect uh word and that's that's the trade-off yeah but i but i appreciate that the book had a narrative and a point of view and it really didn't stray from that uh-huh. and so yeah three i gave it a 3.5 I pretty much yeah like we change the cooking methods to suit our tastes and I do feel like like you said because everything is like fast and quick there's no deep development of flavors right you know you wouldn't bite into something and be like oh they spent all day on this right (laughs) you know nothing was awful yeah that sounds terrible too. Like, and well, ooh. you could you could argue that the flavors were nice and clean and and simple, and so mm-hmm. and that that was the intention of the book. So, and I really liked that a lot of it was plant yeah. plant based too. Probably a more accurate representation of how most people eat these days. Very, right. Very timely. Yes. All right. Well, before we take this out of here, we've arrived at our gastro obscura section, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients. From the book of the same name. Where are we going to this week, Victoria? This is called Century Egg. And it's from Thailand and Laos. But I know this is also a Chinese delicacy as well. Mm-hmm. It's also called a hundred year egg, black egg. And what it is... Toilet it, egg? Is that on the list? <laughs> it's duck, chicken, or quail eggs that are preserved in a mixture of clay, ash, salt quick lime sometimes rice hulls and when it's done it resembles uh one of those like amber fossils the white of the egg is gelatinous and it's amber colored and then the yolk is greenish black and gooey sounds wonderful yes this is also called uh the horse urine egg (laughs) I wasn't too far off with uh, the toilet reference. Due to its striking ammonia smell. And tasters have likened it to a ripe camembert, pungent and creamy with a whiff of aroma. Uh, I'd ammonia. say more than a whiff. Ugh. They're being very generous with yep. their uh, flavor profile. I don't, I don't know how into that. I, w- I don't know if I would want to try that. On tables across Asia, the egg appears in various forms. It can be chopped over chilled silken tofu, sliced like velvety strong cheese, or ground into pastry filling. I think I'll just stick with my jammy eggs. Yes. I don't I don't need I don't need horse urine eggs. No. <laughs> Who does? Some people apparently. I just wondered how that how that was developed. The first, I mean, it was probably more out of necessity. Like they just found this egg that had been like fermenting for that long, and 
ate it and they that was the only thing they had to eat and so they just pretended to like it and it caught on yeah I, i don't know why all right if you enjoyed the show please rank and review it uh you can follow us on our socials our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books. And our Facebook is at we cookbooks. All right. In keeping with the theme of the show, I've got some uh, some egg jokes for you. Ugh. I was going to do like a dozen of them just, you know, just because I'm on a roll today. But uh, I, I, I kept it short. I, uh. I just got a few for you. I, I eat hard boiled eggs almost every day for breakfast because uh, it's, it's hard to beat. Right. <laughs> that was the first one in case you weren't keeping score oh it's not the last Um, either did you hear about the mischievous egg you might say that she was a practical yoker (laughs) i'm glad you're cracking yourself up i saw a sign earlier today it said uh free range eggs i've never heard of range eggs before but i figured i'd try them since they were free (laughs) Uh, right (laughs) That's all I got. You are, you bombed. <laughs> Man. Take my wife, please. <laughs> right? I, I feel like all those jokes were kind of in that vein. Yeah. Like just, you know, Henny Youngman. Uh, you, you know. They were funny back in 1940. Right? I mean, you can't be I would, funny. I would, I would have cracked the house up. Oh, God. Right? All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Have a fantastic week. Stay hungry.